it's so important to talk about it. It's so important to encourage younger guys that are coming through the industry and also guys of my age that have been in the industry a long time to actually open up and talk about if you have issues, if you're having issues. Uh, and more important for me, just talk about reading the signs uh, of your staff, really, seeing when they're struggling. Welcome to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal, hosted by myself, Chris Hall, the founder of the Burnt Chef Project. This week's chat is taken from our staff canteen chat with Mark Reynolds, who is the exec chef of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, where he talks to us about his experiences managing staff and how he's navigated the tricky conversations regarding mental health and well-being within the workplace and uh, share some of his insights about how to effectively manage a team in this current climate. As always, I hope you enjoy the conversation and find some useful content. And if you'd like to learn more about The Burnt Chef Project, please head over to our website, www.theburntchefproject.com or head over to our Instagram or Facebook pages. Okay, welcome to the final discussion in our series with, with the Burnt Chef Project. Um, I'm Cara, editor of the Staff Canteen, um, and today I'm joined um, again by Chris Hall, founder of the Burnt Chef, and Mark Reynolds, executive chef at Tottenham Hotspur. So thank you both for joining me. If you want to put your videos on so we can see your lovely faces. Hi. Hello. Hi. <laughs> um, so, uh, Chris, I'm even wearing my hoodie. Got my burnt chef hoodie on to mark the occasion. Good effort, that's good. How, how does it fit? Yes, yeah, a good fit. Do you know what? I, I, I don't want to plug it too much, but I recommend them. <laughs> good, well, we don't want to be pushing, pushing tat. That's not what we're doing. <laughs> right. Um, so before we get into uh, all the, the, the discussions that we're going to get into today, Mark, what is it like working at a football club at the moment? Because obviously, you know, with, with all of the restrictions, it must be quite... A different place. Yeah, it's been tough. I mean, we've gone from having sixty-two thousand fans in the stadium, four and a half thousand staff, down to three or four of us in there. It's been tough. Um, but look, there's a glimmer of hope. We've got our first game on Sunday with fans back in the stadium, which you know, so excited to get on the phone and start booking guys to come back to work. It's been it's been brilliant to be fair. Yeah, no, and everyone's so excited to get back to work. Yeah, I bet you can't wait. I bet you can't wait to have everyone back around you. So, um, so uh, tell us um, a bit about yourself so people who are watching get to know a bit about you and your role. Um, and then after that, why did you want to take part in uh, in this series of discussions about mental health? Yeah, so um, so a bit about me, really. So I've, uh, I've been at Tottenham now two and a half years. Before that, I was at Wembley Stadium. And prior to that, I opened the Emirates Stadium, Arsenal. So... Really, last 15 years I've been working in stadium, large-scale catering. Uh, but prior to that, very much, uh, very different. I was working in the film industry, um, cooking for people like Liam Neeson, Sigourney Weaver, Wesley Snipes. So it was very different. But uh, just really enjoyed the buzz of getting into um, the large-scale catering, really. Um, chance to work with some great people, some great chefs. Yeah, and so why did you want to do this today? Why did you want to join us and have a have a talk about mental health in the hospitality industry? Just promoting the fact of it, really. I think it's very much at the forefront at the moment. Everyone's talking about it, and it's just keeping that momentum going. You know, it's uh, it's so important to talk about it. It's so important to encourage younger guys that are coming through the industry, and also guys of my age that have been in the industry a long time, to actually open up and talk about 
if you have issues, if you're having issues. Uh, and more important for me, just talk about reading the signs uh, of your staff, really, seeing when they're struggling. Uh, we all work together so close. I probably, I probably spend more time with my boys at work than I do with my family at home. Um, so you get to know them. You get to know them personally. You get to know their moods. Uh, and you, you sort of know when there's issues going on with them. Yeah, I mean, you did mention, obviously, that normally you'd be dealing with hundreds of, of chefs, um, which obviously circumstances in it is not happening, but hopefully will soon. So how do you recognise that team members are struggling when you have that many different people to deal with on a day to day basis? Yeah, I, I, for me, I take pride in, in knowing 99 percent of their names, uh, their first names. And I think it's important for me just going around in the morning saying good morning to someone. Um, and you sort of get a feel of how they are for the day. But for me, not saying good morning to someone can affect someone so greatly throughout the day. It can really spit someone out. But just by me taking 15, 20 minutes in the morning to go around saying good morning to everyone, um, that's, my, that's my time when I dip in and see if anyone's struggling, uh, see what mood they're in or if there's anything happening. Um, by the time I go around and see them, they would have been given their work for the day. If they're struggling with the work they've been given, you sort of pick up on the vibe. But probably throughout a day, I'll, I'll be in and out of the kitchen six, seven, eight times, walking around the brigade, chatting and seeing where they're at. And that's me also checking on what everyone's doing. But it's just taking that time. I think that's, that's the important part that I've learned leading a big brigade is taking the time to individually speak to people and also knowing their names. So many guys come to work for me, say agency guys, and actually I will know their names. They're very surprised. Oh, chef, you know my name. Uh, so yeah. I think it's really important to do that. That's a talent. I can never remember anyone's name. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously this isn't your first stadium that you've worked at, which you've told us already. So has this always been the case for you in your experience of working you know, with large numbers of people? Has everyone always made the time to learn your name? And like, is it your experience that it's always been that way? Or is this something that you've brought yourself? Yeah, no, it's definitely saying I do myself. Um, I've worked in, yeah, in lower positions and uh, you are just a number. You're there to do a job. Um, and a lot of guys get, you know, the kitchens are large, what we work in. They just get hidden away in the corner, get forgotten about, really. Um, so I think you're taking that time in the morning. And also I'm very stickler for timekeeping. I get very annoyed if guys are turning in late and they know that. Um, so that's why I'll give them half hour in the morning and then I will go and walk around the kitchen and see who's in and who's not in. And, and again, if, the, if they're a particular person, you get to know their times when they're rolling in and out. If they're not in, you can ask the question, then why are they late? Is there an issue? Um, you find out a bit more that way as well. Yeah. And so how do you get people to talk about issues that they might be having then? Because you said, obviously, you, you want to pinpoint those people and you know their routines and you know when there's something is not right how do you go about getting them to talk about what might be going on because I know that you've said that um, giving them the time and space to possibly write stuff down when, yes. um, as opposed to um, physically talking because that's something that's quite hard to get people to do isn't it yeah we're, we're actually working at Tottenham at the moment um, I'm talking to the club we've, we've got uh, like a sensory room that they use at the moment for some blind people that you know it's all different textures on the wall uh, but we're looking to use that space as a mental health space for ourselves. Uh, and it will just be, as you say, having the notepad and pen up there. It could be a time where I could, it's someone where I can take people away from the kitchen. Um, people laugh, I have a sofa in my office at work and everyone questions me what the sofa's for. 
But it's for taking time with people. They can sit there and talk to you. But for me, I think for now, I'm at a different stage. It's my, my office is quite open. Um, so it's taking the time to go away from the kitchen. Um, as I say, some people are still not comfortable talking about their issues, but they might want to write them down. Um, I'm going to have a post box in there. They can either post them in the post box and we can come back to it at a later stage. Um, or they can just write down what they feel, then rip it up afterwards. Some people just need to write it down and get it off their chest. Um, I think in the important thing, we always go, oh, I'm not a counsellor. Um, I'm just an ear and someone to lean on if they need to, really. Um, luckily enough, working in a big organisation, if, if they do need the help, the help's there for us. We've got a 24-7 hotline that they can call. Um, so we can, we can put people onto that if we need to. Um, I think that's the important part of this all, is just being a shoulder for someone to come and cry on or an ear to listen to someone. But I'm not a counsellor, I'm not a trained counsellor, and I would never claim to be that. Yeah. Chris, writing stuff down, that's something that we haven't massively discussed, have we? We have talked about talking to people, but writing stuff down, is that that's, seems like a really uh, good idea to me because sometimes it's so hard to get people to talk, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's quite cathartic being able to actually just, <clears throat> I use the term voice, but writing it down and putting it into words sometimes just helps people actually work through what's going on. And also it's, it, it's almost like that scene from Harry Potter, you know, where they stood at the wishing well and he starts pulling out his thoughts, you know, it's, it's the same sort of thing. Once you've written it down, it's out of your head and you can actually start to focus on the next thing and then get on with your day. And also I heard only this morning um, a therapist talking about voice notes and actually recording a voice note. You're just talking to yourself about what's going on and talking through what's in your head. But actually it's like almost you're speaking to a friend and that very process helps you process what's going on slowly. And if you're not fully processed with it, you can still go back and you can sort of analyze what you're saying and you can like look at it from a third person perspective, which is quite a unique perspective to be in really and it certainly will help yeah yeah and i think um, it's very driven from the top car to be fair i mean i'm very open with my full-time team uh and i know that they have relationships with the team that work closely with them all the time and i i think it has to be driven from the top it's the way you treat full-time guys is how they treat the casual staff to be fair yeah um, we, we're definitely not a shouty kitchen um we were talking previous coming on there um I think it's gone them days now. They have to, they have to finish. You know, you have to have respect for the staff. And I think uh, people often ask me, you know, about respect. I learned the hard way. You know, you, you're climbing your way up the tree, but now I'm at the top of my top of the tree. You say, um, you need those people below you, even down to a kitchen porter. Uh, if you don't have respect for them people on the way up, then you will never ever keep your team around you. And to be successful, you have to have your team around you. So it's very important for me to treat everyone right on the way up. I always tell the young apprentices that I have, it's the, bit, the first lesson I always teach them. On your way up, make sure you treat everyone fairly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are you happy to talk about what you said before we came on onto this? Because you said you have some new people come into the team. and mm -hmm. it was a, Yeah, so I don't know, maybe if you could talk about that kind of experience and get, getting them to a point where they were part of your team and realise that how differently your kitchen is. Yeah, I think people are surprised now when they come over. You know, working in... We, we do use a lot of casual labour, probably um, 
well, out of 225 chefs, there's only 10 of us that are full-time. So we're reliant on 200-odd casual chefs. And they work in all different walks of life. Um, and we rely on them, guys. And, you know, we have to welcome them. You know, there's going to be a big welcome to them back at the weekend. And as I said, without them, um, I, I won't be successful. So um, probably at Arsenal, when I worked at Arsenal, I wasn't, uh, definitely wasn't as open as I am now. And I was, I was underneath a chef that was that ruled with a very firm hand. And you don't realise it at the time, but you lose some good guys through not managing them the right way. Um, so to keep regular guys coming back to us, yeah, you have to you have to welcome them and treat them right. And when you say treat them right, that's not working them 18, 19 hours a day. Um, it's working them for the right amount of hours for the day, giving them the right amount of work. You don't want to give someone repetitive work all the time. So that's very mindful that one person doesn't get the same job all the time. And also making sure they're getting paid on time. That's why at the end of the day, they come to work. So for me, it's very important that the guys get paid on time. If there is any issues with pay, I will always deal with it myself. I will go to our pay department and make sure they get paid right. And knowing how your kitchen runs, does it surprise you when people come to you from uh, mission style kitchens or different style of kitchens and they're still dealing with what you said you were dealing with years ago? Does it surprise you that that still is going on? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's shocking, to be fair. Um, and it does go on, unfortunately. It's going on every day out there in the industry. Um, it surprises me how some of these guys are treated. Um, they will they will do a full service lunch and dinner service, and then they're asked to clean the kitchens till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and then expected to be back at 7 or 8 in the morning. I mean, you just can't sustain that. And unfortunately, the, these guys are burning out young chefs. And... Uh, we're just not keeping them in the industry. It's such a shame. There's some talented young guys that we're losing in the industry. Hmm. Yeah. Like, Chris, it's, it's quite surprising to there's so such a huge gap between kitchens like what Mark is running to these other kitchens. Is that it's quite shocking, really? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... Um, I post actually fairly recently that said it's usually the upper echelons. It's that it's the, it's the sites that are like multi-Michelin level that will do anything to make sure that food is the key focus within that business which you know accolades are, are great but not at the expense and the cost of human people um you know i think that if anyone stopped for a second and realized that the 10 years of shit that they've given to their their brigade could have caused perhaps a loss of life or you know something that was sustained and had an impact on not just that individual, but also the family long term, you know, I'd like to think that they've, they've changed, changed their um, ways a little bit. But, you know, those sort of those sort of environments can still run, they can still run effectively, can still get their accolades without feeling like it's a competition to see, you, can, you know, break or damage someone's mental health. Um, but, you know, that's, that's just me. I, obviously, there are people that work well in those situations and that want to work hard for those accolades and um you know good on them but uh ultimately i think you know we just need to be more mindful that these are human beings at the end of the day you know this they're not it's not slave culture it's you know people are they work because they need money and they do it because they they have a passion for this particular industry and food and want to make something within their their role or their career but it doesn't necessarily mean they should do it at the, ex the, the expense of their health. Okay, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm no, 
you know, we're, we're no saints. We're not 100% an angel. We work the guys hard, but you work them hard, but you make sure they get treated fairly. They get, they get their lunch. They get uh, to do normal hours. And as I say, it's important for me that they get paid on time. Um, mm. But yeah, I still expect them to work hard while they're with me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's a tough industry and, you know, you've got to work hard in order to be a chef. That's, there's no getting away from that. You can't come in, do four hours and then go home again, expecting that to be your full time career. But, you know, as you say, people are your assets. It's like having a car. You're not going to drive your car 2000 miles a day and just never service it or fill it up with oil because at some stage it's going to break down and doing what you're doing, Mark, in terms of like looking after your staff, making sure they get paid, making sure they get regular breaks, making sure they've got this safe space where they can talk openly without fear of being shouted at or, you know, pushed down, I think is, is, is great. It allows people to grow within that environment and ultimately builds a stronger team. Yeah, one of the, one of the simpler things that I did when we went to the stadium, or I had a chance to get involved in it, is for the full-time team, they have their own changing rooms, toilets, uh, shower facilities. Um, you know, we do employ 200 odd chefs and you can imagine everyone, 200 odd people get changed or using the bathroom. It's not the best place. Um, but it's so important for me and for my full-time team to have their own space to go and get changed. They've got their lockers in there. They've got a shower in there if they want it. They've got toilets in there. Just them little things make such a difference to people's days. Yeah, you can tell a lot about how a kitchen's run by looking at the toilet. Some, yeah. some toilets I've seen, they're just like, they're honestly, you would think, Christ, and you look at the staff, they don't look happy. You're like, oh, yeah. you know, it says a lot about a business, doesn't it? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mark, yourself, uh, obviously been in the industry a long time. Have you ever experienced any kind of low points within, within, with your mental health? And, and did you know who you could or should talk to? Probably didn't realise at the time, Carl, I was having low points with mental health. Looking back on it now, yes, I can see uh, I did. Um, but probably too scared to speak up. Um, I was I was very much pushing for my career and wanting to move on. And to be fair, I was lucky I pushed through quick. I was junior sous in the Hilton group at the age of 19. And you just thought that was what you had to do, really. Looking back on it now, I definitely... I definitely there was bullying going on when I was younger. And, uh, yeah, uh, without knowing, yeah, probably, yeah, I suffered a little bit of mental health. Um, but I'm lucky. I was strong enough to get through it. And, uh, yeah, that's why I'm so keen to help people now, to be fair. Yeah. And you said you were, you were, you were scared to say anything. What were you scared of? Uh, Probably being pushed out as being part of the gang, you know, you're okay. part of the gang and, you know, the, you always looked up to your sous chefs, uh, you always aspired to be one of your sous chefs and, uh, yeah, sometimes things went on, you know, getting veg thrown at you and stuff like that was not the best. But even looking back now, you know, bullying, we it would be standard for us in a hotel to do a breakfast, lunch and dinner shift. That was the norm. But, you know, looking back on it now, working 17, 18 hour days, going home, sleeping for four hours and coming back again, it, it, it's not right. It's not It's not the industry you want to be in with. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, Mark, if the industry was different, and say, for example, it was like a white-collar industry where, you know, this, they're perhaps a little bit more set up for conversations of this nature, do you think it would have impacted you or your career by by sort of addressing the issues of, of ill mental health, or do you think you would have taken you longer to get where you were, or would you have got there quicker by addressing it 
differently? Um, yeah, it's a good question, Creel. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I'd, I'd see myself as quite a strong character. So I, yeah, I've I've sort of I have pushed myself into my career a little bit, um, and I can see that guys have been left behind from that that were treated the same as me, really. But yeah, it, it does affect everyone different. Mm. As I say, I, I've got a team of ten. Um, how I manage one chef to another chef is very different. Some chefs thrive on coming in the office and getting spoke to quite sternly, whereas other chefs, you, could, you just can't talk to them like that. Mm. They, they would crack, and uh, you're certainly not getting the best out of them out of that, whereas some chefs do thrive on being told straight what they've done wrong, whereas other chefs, you have to go around the houses a little bit. So, yeah, you have to manage people very differently. And is this a skill, I mean, you know, we're not born um, inherently as managers, you know, we don't get taught as kids to, to manage people. Um, is this something that you have found that you had a natural ability for? Or is this something that you've actually had to like be quite conscious of your learning processes and go, well, I need to learn to do in conflict resolution or I need to be more adapt in, you know, handling sensitive conversations? Yeah. Uh, to be honest, it's a massive turning point for me that the company I've worked for previous invested in a, a one-to-one therapist with me for a year. Um, I was typical chef going into it thinking, I don't need this. I don't need one-to-one therapy. Um, I, I gained so much out the back of that, and knowing how to deal with situations, knowing how to deal with people, actually not going into a situation and blowing up there and then and expecting a resolution, actually walking away from the situation, thinking about how what, what end result you want out of it, and then going back to the situation and dealing with it. Typical chef is to go both feet in first there and then. Um, but yeah, it took... Normally it was only a six-month program. I was lucky; <laughs> mine was extended for twelve months. But I needed that to be fair. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's a cliche thing to say, but it changed my life. Uh, he was a good guy. He was a, he was a good guy. Yeah, he actually lives in Mallorca now, but he'd fly back and we'd have one-to-one sessions. And uh, yeah, this is not too long ago, Chris. This is I'm only talking six years ago, and the first two sessions I, I broke. I broke down. I, I cried mm-hmm. and um, that that's not me I'm quite a strong character but uh, it, we went through my childhood and uh, apprenticeships and coming through the industry and I, I think it gives you a few home truths of what you've done in the past and what you'd seen in the past and yeah that that really to be Chris that's my turning point in my career and that's why I want to help people now that's really useful thank you mm. Um, you mentioned, uh, Mark, that you, uh, when uh, Chris asked you about whether your career might be different if you'd have had those, you know, if you hadn't been scared to speak out and things like that, and you said that you you had, uh, that had lo- you had lost some chefs kind of along the way, dropped out of the industry. Were there some really good chefs that you think could have had amazing careers if it wasn't for the environments that they were being put in? Definitely, definitely, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think very, you know, back 20, 25 years ago when I first started. Um, a lot of the places we work were live-in, a live-in accommodation, and guys stayed and suffered with the abuse and uh, the grief they used to get because they had somewhere to live. If they left the job, then they would have nowhere to live um, both. So it's a really double double life sword, really. It, it's tough. You know, guys shouldn't have been put, some guys shouldn't have been putting up with the abuse they did, but they did because it was somewhere to live. Um, I, I was very lucky. I had, I had a solid family background, you know, and I think that helps. 
Um, I've seen it with, you know, four or five apprentices I've had come through the last few years. You see those that have got a good solid background will normally last in the industry. Those that have come from difficult backgrounds tend to leave and, and move on quite quickly. Yeah, it's a, it's a real shame to think that people who could have had a really successful career in this industry just dropped out and dropped away yeah. from it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's tough. So, um, obviously, circumstances we're dealing with at the minute, I know obviously a lot of places are now starting to reopen, so everyone can start to come come back a little bit. Um, you said it's been really important to you uh, to keep in touch with your team, even during kind of furlough and even those that have been made uh, redundant so maybe tell us a bit more about that and why you thought that was so important yeah we would put uh we tried when we first went into lockdown we tried to put zoom calls in um chefs are not very technical on computers so it didn't really work it was quite <laughs> fun trying to get the first few up and going we couldn't get it going so we just reverted back to one-to-one -one calls through through lockdown um yeah I've, I've had to lose a few guys unfortunately um, we haven't been able to uh, sustain them all, um, but I think it's now as important still, you know, seeing what they're up to. Um, definitely, if you hear work coming up for them, I'll, I'm trying to help them get back into work. I think it's so important to keep in contact with them because they're at their lowest now. They've just lost their, their jobs. Uh, they've lost, as I said before, your, your family around you. We spend so much time together. It's a big wretch to be ripped away from the family. Some of these guys live on their own. Um, I think I can speak openly. I, one of my chefs, I've just, we've made him redundant. Um, I wasn't asked to make him redundant. Um, I actually approached my company to see if we could make him redundant. Um, he wasn't from London. He's from Scotland. Um, so he's down in London with no family. Um, he, he was renting a flat just up the road from the stadium, but sitting in the flat every day. Uh, because we had obviously reduced wages with furlough, um, he started to spend his own money on his rent and, and bits and bobs. So I actually approached the club and see if we could make him redundant for his own mental state, really. Um, him sitting in a flat day in, day out on his own, not knowing when he's going to come back to work. We didn't know at the time when he's going to come back to work. So I give him the option if he wants to be made redundant. And thankfully, he took it. And now he's gone back home to be with his family. Um for me, it's a bit of a loss. I've lost a, a head chef out of the business, but I, I just felt it was the right thing to do for him personally. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting. It's a tough tough call to have, tough call to have made, but ultimately, it's the the greater good. Do you think that he's he was welcome welcome for it? I think so. Um, I think he was looking to go back home anyway, Chris. Eventually, um, I think it's given him that little push to do. Mm. Um, but for me, I just hate the thought of him sat in that flat day in day out on his own. Uh, with no family around him, no, you know, no one-to-one -one contact with people. Um, it was tough, tough for him. But, you know, luckily he took the redundancy and uh, I, I think personally I did it for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'm there's a lot of people who can relate to that as well, just being stuck at home and not sure when they're next going to be coming into work or doing anything other than being at home. So. Yeah. But as I said, you know, keeping in contact with him, um, keeping in contact with a few others that we made redundant, um, both from, from the kitchen and from other departments, really. Still speaking to them on the phone, on WhatsApp. Uh, I think it's important. And I'm interested, you know, I mean, if I can help these guys get a new role or, you know, I'm interested to see where they're going and what they're doing. Um, some of them moved on driving for Tesco's or working at Amazon. Um, but I think they will come back. They will come back. 
I think, yeah, once you've been bitten by by food and passion for, for food and hospitality, it's very difficult to leave it alone for too long. I was chatting to one of our previous guests, Pete Toff, who said like he was he's itching to get back into a, a commercial kitchen again, but it's like a drug, you know. Once he stepped out of it because it was impacting him mentally and physically, um, and he's sort of taken a, a sideways move across into a catering manager role. But he said he would he would he would kill to go back into the kitchen again, but yeah. he just he wouldn't he knew he wouldn't be able to sustain it, which I think is quite an interesting thing. But I think you do see people jump out and then come back in again a year or two later because it's, you know, it's a great industry. Yeah. But I don't think that's a bad thing, Chris. I, I think them going off and seeing something new, trying something new, I think it's a good thing. Um, and then, then they're actually coming back into the industry for the right reasons because of the passion and the love of the industry. They're not coming back just because they're driven by money or whatever. Honestly, I think it, I, I wouldn't want to go through this again, but I, that is one of the good things for me that will come out of this, that chefs will come back into the industry because of their love for it. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, Mark, one of the other points that you wanted to talk about um, when I asked you before you came on um, was the uh, the Craft Guild of Chefs, the, the new app and the mentor scheme that uh, Chris Galvin's supporting. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that and, and why you wanted to discuss it? Yeah, I think, um, I think there's some lost souls out there in the industry and not really sure which way they want to go in their career. Um, a lot of people jump into doing uh, BNI sites Monday to Friday because they think you know, I'll have weekends off and all that but they're not really sure what they want to do in this career so the app that we've created now with the Craft Guild of Chefs you can go on and there's mentors on there that you can choose and you know people like Chris Galvin's put himself up to be a mentor for someone which is fantastic we've got people of Chris's level actually putting themselves out there to do this um, it's a chance again for people to talk openly to their mentors, uh, discuss their careers, and you know, Chris is not going to be there offering everyone a job, but he'll certainly be able to guide them in what they need to do to achieve their goals. Um, I think we're up to about 15 mentors at the moment, um, okay. but there's also lots of other um, stuff on the site. We're, we're obviously working with Chris with the Burnt Shed Project, uh, we're walking, working with Kelly's Causes on there, which is another mental health organization. Um, it's just about supporting the chefs. We actually, you know, I think it was April, we had a committee meeting and we just said, what is one thing we need to focus on? Um, it wasn't about giving money to feeding the homeless and things like that. This was one thing that really came out strong from the Craft Guild Committee. We need to be more supporters of chefs that were sat at home and needed the support, really. So out the back of um, the lockdown, again, the app we managed to push through quick. Um, we've, we've launched this mentor scheme um, and it's there for everyone to tap into with, for, for some help and advice, really. Yeah, I would think all support is very welcome, right, Chris? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, especially, you know, organisations that are, have such heritage, like, for example, the Craft Guild of Chefs, being able to rally this conversation and take it forward. You know, certainly with the demographic of chefs that you've got as well, you've got accomplished chefs who have, you know, got a great deal of experience in this trade um it's invaluable to, to start in conversations in areas that perhaps you know the younger chefs might be might be used to it coming out of college now um you know and, and more of more people like this we need more you know more partnerships with people who have a wide reach across the industry to be able to just encourage this to be the norm really yeah yeah i'm doing a lot of work with um, future chefs as, as well at the moment chris so even catching them you know the the 
13 to 16 year olds in schools. You know, if we can help any of them along the way. I, I, I honestly, I'm quite involved with Future Chef at the moment with, with Brian Turner sitting as the chair on it. Um, I didn't really realise until I went and started judging these competitions for these 13 to 16 year olds, how, how much hardship there is out there. Um, some of the parents couldn't even afford the ingredients for their child to come and cook a two course dish. You know, it was the schools were actually stepping in to supply the food. And um, probably I was a little bit sheltered from it, really. But uh, these kids are having a tough time out there. You know, mm. and if we if we can get in and start supporting these kids and letting them know that support's there, really, it's, that's, it, it's a massive part of the sector that we don't really think about or touch. Well, no, and I think the more help that hospitality can give to those age groups, the more likely we are to see people want to come and turn to hospitality later on as a career choice as well. Um, Adam Simmons, I was chatting to fairly recently, he's working on a project at the moment to help feed children at schools for the whole year, um, both in and out of school. So he almost give them like lunch boxes that they can have for breakfast and after school. Um, and then those are the right sort of sort of things to be looking at. Is it's about how we actually start giving back to our local community, and all of a sudden, then you've got connections with a whole host of hundreds of, you know, hundreds of children who potentially might forge a career working with you in the future. You know, it's a it's an area that we do need to focus on. Yeah, I was talking to a young fourteen-year-old that was judging, and uh, the school had stepped in to buy the ingredients for the. Uh, she was in, I think she was in regional finals. And I was just, you know, saying, oh, you know, good that the school stepped in and supported you. But she was saying to me that that five, six pounds that she would have spent doing the two course meal to be judged on could feed her family for three, four nights. I just, I'd never thought about it, Chris, to be fair. Perhaps that's where we also need the supply chain to help set up and work with people like Future Chefs and say, like, actually, we'll sponsor the ingredients so that, yeah. you know, not only will we sponsor the ingredients for the competition, but how about sponsoring the ingredients so that those young promising chefs at the age of sort of 13, 14 can then go home and recreate that for their families. I think that'd yeah. be a, you know, if there are any supply chain you know, yeah. you know, wholesalers watching, that'd be a fantastic idea to work with the young. Well, Wellox have just stepped in to be honest with you, Chris. So they're going to supply a box for every student that gets to the final. Uh, obviously the final we normally do at Westminster College. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a huge day. We have lots of people there, lots of people judging, because we can't do that this year. Um, so we're actually going to have to do the finals like this on a Zoom call. Uh, we'll probably have a judge at each school judging that, that student, and then we come together as a judging panel afterwards. But Wellox have stepped up and said, yes, we will supply the ingredients for the final. So the 10 students that are in the final will all get the same ingredients going out to their schools, which is fantastic. Yeah, it is. And I mean, perhaps we can have a chat off. I would like to donate some stuff for that as well. So for the 10 students, we can send some bits to them as well, just Brilliant. so that we're getting in nice and early with this conversation as well. Definitely. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, Chris. No worries. Um, right. So, well, uh, Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot now. <laughs> this is our final, final chat for this year. Um, so what key points do you think you've taken from this series? Is there anything that you've learned yourself? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked. I've made a few notes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the key thing for me is, um, you know, ultimately, from a lot of the conversations we've had with our guests, it's about creating 
a safe environment where people can discuss uh, the state of their mental health. Um, and obviously it's shown, you know, through the conversation after conversation, it's had benefits. It's produced happier workforce that are willing to, you know, work and step in when, you know, the going gets tough. Um, you know, and it also helps improve not only morale, but your retention rates within the business. Um, there's a couple of key things that I think, you know, if anyone's watching this and trying to work out how they reduce their turnover and how they do improve the environment for their staff. It's there's a few things that I've made a note of, such as, you know, unclear job expectations, you know, be very clear with the people that you're hiring, what the job role is. Don't go flipping it around on them because there's nothing worse than having goalposts moved and changed. It makes people feel insecure and it makes them feel uncomfortable. And that in itself can produce quite a lot of stress and ill, Ill mental health. Um, disconnection from managers, you know, Mark, you've touched upon it, like you, you get to know your staff. Uh, you know, same with Luke last week, you understand that staff are your key assets. And at the end of the day, the better that you know them and that you can identify when something's not quite right, the better you can get to the to the crux of the matter rather than that person suffering in silence and going long term. Um, and ultimately, you know, exhibiting signs of presenteeism and, and not being as effective a team member and you, you lose them anyway. So it's important that managers actually recognize that their staff are, are human beings and individuals. Um, culture, you know, address the cultures within the businesses. If you believe that, you know, locking someone in a, in a freezer or a fridge for an hour to, to see if you can break them is a good idea, then it's not, it's wrong. Um, same with any sort of bullying or sexual harassment within, you know, kitchen. We know what kitchen environments are like. You have banter, you have a laugh, um, but it's also identifying and taking the zero tolerance approach when that goes too far. And again, making a safe environment for your staff. And just recognition, you know, it's, it's a tough industry. It's an industry that we all love um, and it is hard. And sometimes it, all it takes is a pat on the back and a well done. And that in itself can mean something huge to, certainly if you're a chef that's never had that before and you've always been told that it's not good enough you know, getting that recognition and that, that job well done is a huge sense of satisfaction and it will actually, again, prove very good for their mental well-being. Brilliant. Well, uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, thank you, Mark. Um, as I've said already, this is our final discussion in this series. Um, if you have missed any of them, they are on our Facebook page, so you can go back and watch them. And we will be back next year with another series. Um, so if you have any uh, points that you'd like us to discuss, feel free to get in touch because we're always open to ideas. Um, so yeah, that's it. So uh, Merry Christmas from everyone at the Staff Canteen. I'm allowed to say that now, it's December. Um, and we'll see you in 2021. So thank you very much. Cheers, thank you. Thanks. Thanks.